Second Timothy, chapter one. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Over the next 10 weeks, we are going to be spending our time in Paul's second letter to Timothy. And if you're joining us on Wednesdays, some of this will be recap, but for the most part, when I'm preaching on Sunday versus what I'll do on Wednesday, there will be differences. For instance, for our time on Sundays, I'm going to try to have this theme traced through all 10 messages to give unity to the, letter, the second letter to Timothy. On Wednesdays, we'll hit some of these things in uh, more detail. All right, so we'll spend a little bit more time on, on the details. But just a bit of recap, or what may be new for those of you who, who aren't with us on Wednesdays, is 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul writes. It was probably written in 66 or 67 AD. Paul is in prison. He is going to be martyred for his faith very soon. And he is writing to his beloved child in the faith, Timothy. And so what Paul has put together for Timothy is what we will call a farewell discourse. We see these in Scripture. We see it from Jacob to his sons. We see it from Moses to Joshua. We have examples of this also from Jesus Christ to his disciples. And a farewell discourse usually has an announcement of imminent departure, directives to keep God's commandments, predict predictions of what will happen after the speaker's departure, comfort and instruction for those who survive the speaker, and appeals to remember what the speaker has taught. And as we go through this second letter to Timothy, be on the lookout for these things, and I will bring them up as we go. But we will see very clearly, this is Paul's farewell discourse to Timothy. Like Moses to Joshua, passing the torch of leadership. And the main thing that Paul has to say for Timothy is to have courage. Have faith. Be faithful. Why? Why would this be something that Paul was so adamant to communicate to Timothy towards the end of his life? And it's because the apostolic age is ending. Transition is taking place. So Paul says things like, build on the foundation. 
that I have established. Timothy, guard the good deposit from the apostles. Because the question naturally would be, from Timothy to Paul, what comes next? What do we do? What happens when the apostles are gone? And the authority that came with them is gone. So this takes us into the letter. Today we'll be in verses 1 through 7. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life, in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which was first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your, mo- and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the, fa- the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that your scripture would shine forth, that it would be sweet words that change our hearts, that speak to the spirit inside us, Lord, that that speaks to the, the depths of our soul and changes us into the people that you have desired us to be. What does it mean, Lord, to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean, Lord, to be adopted into your family? What does it mean, Lord, to live out a new life while we are stuck in an old world that is dying and decaying? How do we survive when we are changing And everything else around us seems to want to wage war against that change. Lord, I pray that you would keep my words in the background. I pray that the focus would never be on on me. That you would destroy my pride, God. And allow me to just preach faithfully what your word has to say. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Verse one and two. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life in Jesus Christ, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul's greeting is is relatively typical for the most part, but with some minor differences which kind of lead us to understand the intimacy of this letter. Paul seems to understand this is it. 
My journey is coming to an end. And Timothy, Timothy is the one who is coming after me. And we're going to see this throughout the letter, and I have some things to to bring up in just a minute here to show that why Timothy and Paul would have such a close bond that Paul would say, Timothy, my beloved child. In 1 Timothy, he says, Timothy, my child in faith. Now, that's still quite a compliment. But for Paul to open himself up in such a way, my beloved child, there there is an intimacy in this letter that we see Paul is is going to pour out his heart. Could you imagine if, if you were speaking to someone who was so close to you? Imagine you were speaking to your own child. And it was the last thing that you would say because you don't know how much time you have left. Maybe you will see them again. Maybe not. Paul is our author. Timothy is our recipient. We see that right at the beginning. And he says, by the will of God, according to the promise of of life that is in Jesus Christ. The promise of life is in Jesus Christ. And this promise, this promise of life is going to be a theme that we trace through the sermon, throughout the entire, uh, through this sermon, right, and throughout the entire letter, we are going to be looking at this theme of the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? What does that do? What happens when we believe that promise? What happens when we walk according to that promise? That promise of life is a big deal when it comes to persecution and when death is knocking at the door. Eternal life is in view here, yes. All the glory and peace and joy and love that we are hopefully longing for fully in the presence of God. We don't know it completely now, but right, we, we look to it and we, we long for it. Do you ever long for things? Maybe not as much as, as we used to, right? We're kind of in an immediate culture where, where things come very quickly. I, I ordered some books a couple weeks ago um, and they still haven't come in yet. I long for them to come in, but the reality is it's because I'm used to them coming in in a day or so. So now that I have to wait two weeks, I I don't know what to do with myself. I'm looking out the window of the door every day. Are they here? Are they here? The tracking says they're not close. I still have to look, though. Right? Because I'm I'm longing for it. And that's, that's kind of a sad thing to long for, in a sense. But this is kind of what we've become. We're very immediate. We need it now. But this longing, longing for something like the promised life, I think that's more similar to those of us who have children and have had to wait that nine months for that child to be born. It seems like the closer you get to the due date, the longer it takes. I remember when we were waiting for Ellie to be born, and when the due date hit and we were past the due date, I couldn't. I couldn't take it. I was longing 
so deeply to see my child, to hold my child, to experience fatherhood for the first time. I can imagine Paul being in a similar situation. Paul knows that death is near, and yet he's longing. And so the minutes turn to hours, and the hours turn to days, because there's this excitement. Not that he's looking forward to being martyred, but an excitement in the sense that the, the journey's coming to an end, and what I've been longing for to be in the presence of God, it's, it's coming. That's the promised life. And in a very, uh, obviously this is eternity that we're, we're looking towards and excited about and longing for, but in a very real sense, that eternal life starts now. Dangerously, people think this way in the sense of they're just waiting for the next life as if I'm just waiting for a train to heaven. And I'm just kind of meandering on the platform. And that's a dangerous attitude. Because right now, if you are in Christ, you have entered into the new creation because you are a new creation. God is doing a work now. And, and you are in Christ now. Positionally, you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And now you are still here, Yes. But you have entered into the new creation. You have been joined to Christ. Your life in Christ has begun already. We long for eternity when, when we don't have to, to deal with the, the um, obstruction of the world anymore. But, but right now, it's still taking place. The promise of life, this blessing of life, is already being poured out on you. And in many ways, this is what Paul is talking about as he writes this letter to Timothy. Your new life, a promise in Jesus Christ, is now full of implications for the way you live right now. The way you decide to spend the rest of your days on this earth is entirely dependent on your view of this promise of life in Christ. If you truly believe the promise, things change. Life becomes entirely different. If you don't believe the promise, your standard of living will be affected very little. So as Paul uh, writes this letter of, of, of farewell discourse to Timothy, and its focus blooms from the belief in the promise of life in Jesus Christ. The life of someone who truly believes in and longs for the promised life in Jesus Christ will learn from this letter. If we believe in this promised life, we will learn what Paul has to say in this letter. We will be challenged by it. We will be encouraged by it. There is a fear of the unknown. When Paul departs from this life, when the apostles are all gone, when persecution and suffering come, but Paul exhorts Timothy with the promise of life, life in Jesus Christ. 
And what is produced from the promise of life? What, what, what comes from belief in the promised life? Faith on fire. Faith on fire is the product of a life that believes in the promised life of Jesus Christ. Faith on fire is the product of a life that longs for the promised life in Jesus Christ. Paul continues, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. The way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwell in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. Both Paul and Timothy have a faith that they have learned from their ancestors. So Paul thanks God that he serves him as his ancestors did. Now this is interesting. Paul's worship is in continuity with Israel. Israel who worshipped in the days of the old covenant. This is who Paul is speaking about. In other words, the church has more in common with the faith of Abraham, Moses, and David, and the prophets than the Jews of today who continue to reject the Messiah. The church is the natural continuity that comes from the true faith that we saw of those who had it in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. So Paul can rightly look back at his ancestors and say, I learned of this faith from my ancestors, from Moses, from Abraham, from David, from the prophets. And what I believe now, the change that is in me because of Jesus Christ, is really the natural outworking of God's plan. Paul did not start a new religion. He did not attempt to break away from the worship of his ancestors. He learned from them. Paul's conversion away from was um, not a conversion away from Israel, but a recognition that Jesus was the promised Messiah, this, the fulfillment of the old covenant promises. So our ancestors, likewise, are the faithful ones. Our ancestors are the ones who have been faithful to the word of God. So the sincere faith in Timothy first came from his mother and his grandmother. Timothy's uh, mother and grandmother were, were Jews, and it says in Acts 16.1 that his mother was a believer. And this would have been about 49 AD, so about a dozen years or so after, uh, well, about 15 years or so after the uh, resurrection and, and ascension. So when they say believer, she's a believer. She's a follower of the way. She's a follower of Christ. And Timothy, as Paul says here, and as we see back in Acts, had learned from his mother and his grandmother and had also uh, been a believer. I think what we're seeing 
from both Paul's example and Timothy's example is that this promised this promise of life in Jesus Christ produces generational faithfulness. When you are faithful to the Lord and the life that he has called you to, your offspring are more inclined to follow. Here are some uh, texts about that. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and your gates that the days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. Proverbs 22, 6, train up your child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this does not mean every single child is elect. It doesn't mean that some children won't rebel. But the principle that the Lord has given is that the way that you act and the way that you live according to this promised life has a direct effect on your children and on your grandchildren and on the generations that go down the line. And Paul is saying, we, we know this because my ancestors were faithful and there's still a faithful remnant today because of their faithfulness. The Lord has brought it down the line. Yes, there were those who, who, who left. There were those who went out from us. There were those who were, who were broken off of the root, so to speak. And it's sad and it's unfortunate, but the reality is the principle remains that when you act according to this promised life, your children, your grandchildren, the generations that come after are much more inclined to look at your example and to follow that example. Not just look at your words, right? Because then what they see is hypocrisy. But to look at the example of the life that you have lived now in Jesus Christ and to follow that. Timothy, trained by his mother and his grandmother. Paul, seeing the faith of his ancestors. So our responsibility is to be living out this new promised life. And this, this, right, I said the product of this new promised life, if we really believe it, is faith on fire. Faith on fire spreads. Faith on fire is something that is noticed by our children. If we have faith that is on fire, our, our children will recognize that. They will say, Dad and Mom are sold out for Christ. The highest priority in their life is the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will serve him wholeheartedly. And they will love that. They will look up to that. They will follow that. But if you are not living according to the promise of the life found in Jesus Christ, if your faith is not on fire, then don't expect your kids to be. They're going to follow what they see. So the way you live out your life will be evaluated and followed by the generations that come after you. You are an ancestor to somebody. 
you will be an ancestor to somebody down the line. Will they look back and say, my faithful ancestors? Now, obviously, this most directly applies to parents with with children, right? You have a responsibility to show your children and your grandchildren what the life of promise in Christ is. That's your responsibility. The Lord has, has given that to you. And more than anything else, they have to see your life of dedication and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have to see that the calling on your life from Him is your number one priority, to serve Him. And the calling on your life is not to neglect your kids for ministry. The calling on your life is to be, as Pastor Keith said, to to not just do things, but to be who God has called you to be. Faithful, devoted, loving the Lord, excited about him, faith on fire, right? And then, and then they will see that. Okay, but what if you're not a parent? Or what if you're, you know, you're, you're estranged from your kids or uh, your kids are adults? Not all of Paul's ancestors were his parents. Timothy's were, it was his mom and his grandmother, okay. But when Paul points to his ancestors, he's not talking about his parents or grandparents necessarily. Instead, he's talking about the faithful ancestors that have gone before him, faithful members of the covenant who came before him. We are members of a covenant. We are members of the new covenant in Christ. So believe it or not, your faithfulness has an impact on the generations that come within this covenant. Your life is a testimony to those who come after you in the church. Your life is a testimony right now to those who come and are newer even to the oasis. They look up. They, they, who is, I'm a newer believer. What does it mean to, to be in Christ? And if they see a faith that's on fire, then say, okay, I want that. I want to have a faith on fire. If they see a faith that's cold and bitter and, and, and kind of dead, then either they won't look up to you or they may be fooled into thinking, I guess this is what it looks like after a time. Those who come after us will look at us as an example of what to do and what not to do when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul lays that out. Right? When, we have a, when we have this uh, believe in this promised life of Jesus Christ, right? the product, like I said, is faith on fire. Um, that's going to be like our slogan for the rest of 2 Timothy. Okay, The next 10 weeks, uh, depending on if we meet and we split that up at some point, but 2 Timothy, faith on fire. All right? It's going to be faith on fire. By the end of this, I want everybody's faith to be so on fire that it spreads like wildfire. But when we have faith on fire, the first thing Paul makes mention of is the fact that he is a product of faith on fire. Timothy, you are a product of faith on fire. Don't be fooled. You all are a product of somebody having faith on fire because it spoke to you. They spoke the word of God to you. They discipled you. They trained you. And you, therefore, will also be an influence. If you have faith on fire, a good influence. Why? All because you believe in this promised life in Jesus Christ. Then Paul says in verse 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame, or in our version it says to kindle afresh, 
the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So because Paul knows of Timothy's faith, he says, I know, I know this faith is in you as well. He calls on him to fan into flame this gift from God. This is the faith that Timothy has received. This faith is a gift from the Lord. But I think if we're real, we understand that this faith that we receive has a tendency to cool over time. I notice in my own life how over time apathy can set in. And I was really excited at first, even for ministry, really excited. And over time, the excitement just starts to dwindle. And then distractions set in. And at times, I just get tired of, of meeting with people and dealing with people. The lost, the saved, it, it becomes a burden. And in some cases, I just really didn't care anymore. I mean, what's the point? People don't want to listen to what I have to say. I'm no great example myself. The church isn't growing like I want to see it growing. The things that I'm on fire about, it seems like no one's on fire about it. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe for some of you, the heat, right, the, the heat of your faith is fire has really cooled down. Maybe you used to always share your testimony, right? And you're always quick to confess and repent, and, and just over time, we don't hear it from you anymore. Maybe you used to really hunger, thirst for the Lord, right? You hungered and thirsted for righteousness. You couldn't get enough of his word. You wanted this more than you wanted food. And now, maybe you get into it a couple times a week. Maybe. Maybe at first you had to tell people about this gift. You received the greatest gift that could possibly be given, and you had to tell people what you had received. And you just, you couldn't help it, right? And now, now that's gone too. Maybe you, you were like Ephesus. You can spot the false teachers. You understand the right doctrine, but you lost the love that you had at first. And you recognize you're just not the same anymore. The faith on fire, I don't even recognize that. We've been so bogged down by the world and, and the distractions of life that this faith, this gift, just isn't as exciting as it once was. 
And if it's not exciting, you're much less motivated to share it with anyone. And people won't see it in you. Do you remember getting a gift, whether it's Christmas or a birthday as a kid, and you get it, and it's the, I mean, I still remember the day that I got, you know, my first Game Boy. I remember what it looks like. I remember how excited I was when my dad, he, he hit it. It was the last thing I got that morning. I thought everything was done. And I'd wanted it, and he pulled it out of the closet, and he showed it to me. And I was so excited, I don't even know where that Game Boy is. And even if I did have it, I, I wouldn't play it. Graphics are terrible. But we can't do that with this gift. But we know in our humanity, that's the tendency. We do it with everything. Everything. The job that we always dreamed of, that we got after a season, it's just not exciting. Everything in our life. I don't want to get in trouble, but... but Spouses, we know, right? It's not as exciting as the wedding day, maybe. Because, not because it can't be, but because we just, in our humanity, let it die. We don't fan into flame the relationship. And so over time, it's just... It's not how I feel. I just have to make sure I say that. Um, <laughs> But that's not to take away from the reality that that is how it works. If I don't, um, if I don't pursue that relationship, it, it'll, it'll die out. It, it, won't, it won't be fanned into flame. We do that with all these gifts from our life. Everything. So it shouldn't be hard for us to believe that this would happen to the gift of faith as well. It shouldn't be that hard to believe that something, this new life that we are so excited to receive could one day be something that we just are apathetic towards. Yeah, I know I have new life. And I'm looking forward to the day where this new life goes on for eternity. But Paul says to Timothy, and he's saying it to us, you need to keep the flame hot. Fan it into flame. Feed it. Right? When, when the flames start to go down and you can sense that it's cooling, feed it. Fan it into flame. It needs to grow. It needs to stay hot. It's a gift. Right? And a lot of us, we, we probably are already here where we understand what this gift is. It's the Holy Spirit. This gift of faith comes from, from, the, from the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this gift, don't quench the gift. Exercise it. Use it. Enjoy it. Become excited about the gift as you position your mind and your heart to contemplate the gift. Do we recognize that you have received the promised life when instead, beforehand, you were streamlining toward destruction? Before the gift of life, your life was built on one thing, death, rebellion, hatred of God. 
invested in sin, enslaved into nothing but wickedness. That was your life. Everything you did was geared towards that. And the Lord stepped in and pulled you out and said, you have new life. I've given it to you. I've given you new life. When you were dead, I have made you alive. We talk about reminding ourselves every day of the gospel. This is exactly why. We have to remind ourselves every single day, this is who I was, and apart from Christ, it's who I still would be. There is a way that seems right to man, right? And and its way ends in destruction. I can't tell you how many times I'm going out and I'm talking to people about the gospel or I'm at Planned Parenthood and I'm seeing dead people going in because they think this is the right thing to do. This will end in blessing. This will end in, in something good or something for my benefit. And it's so sad to watch that they're just walking toward further and further toward destruction. And we're sitting here, we're sitting here on the sidelines with this gift, this gift of eternal life, this promised life, and we can let that flame go out? We can let that cool down? Brothers and sisters of the Oasis, please hear me, I'm not upset at, at you, I'm not, I'm not angry. It's, it's from this place of, of love and desire because I don't want to see the flame dwindle and cool. And if I see it in you, I want to tell you. And if you see it in me, I expect you to tell me. So when this is fanned into flame, Paul says, God hasn't given us a spirit, and and the idea here is a disposition. He hasn't given you a disposition of timidity, but of power, love, discipline. This disposition is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not give a disposition of fear, Right? And the idea here, we talked about this on on Wednesday night on the first night, but this is the idea of, of cowardice. You follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who has said at the end of Matthew that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you don't walk as cowards anymore. I'm the authority. And you follow after me. This promised life, it is life, yes. But it means that we're in a battle in the meantime. And so the Spirit gives us power, not cowardice, power, courage. Supernatural courage to the believer. And today, we need to be men and women of courage. Speak for Christ. Suffer for Christ. Fan into flame this gift of faith.
that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ may be seen in you and work through you. It's so interesting to see in Paul's day, we had this explosion of the gospel with great suffering. And today, we have no suffering. And it seems like the gospel just doesn't move. Take courage, brothers and sisters in Christ. Take courage with your faith. Fan into flame. Be excited about the life that you've been given. Be excited about the gospel and let people know and let people see. Love. You've been given supernatural love. Right? We, we walk in a world that is against us. And we are in a spiritual battle. And sometimes it is so easy to be angry and bitter and hate those who do us wrong. But that's not the kind of soldiers we are. We are the kind of soldiers that are called to love our enemies. So not only do we have courage to enter into the battle, but we love the ones that we're battling against. We love them even when they treat us poorly, even when they reject us. We love them. We don't want to be courageous but lack love. We want to be courageous with the gospel and full of love, right? And the last one is self-control. So Paul uses a unique word in the New Testament. It can be translated um, and understood as, as self-control, but it's, it's a different word than what Paul uses in Galatians 5.23 when speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. There, self-control seems to mean this idea of, you know, have this control over your emotions and your impulses uh, and your desires. Be someone who is submitted to the Spirit in such a way that you're just not giving in to every impulse and, and fleshly desire as it comes. That's not what someone who's controlled by the Spirit does. Paul uses a different word here. The word here focuses on having sound judgment and, and prudence. It's, it's really this idea of you're combining self-control with wisdom and discernment. So not only do we have courage in the battle, not only do we have love in the battle, but this word here tells us that you don't just run recklessly into the battle. You have wisdom, you have discernment, you have self-control. So let me ask, what are you doing with what the Lord has given you? Are you using it? Are you fanning into flame your gift of faith? Or as you examine your life, are you noticing that it's, it's dying out? Maybe for some of us we recognize it's been dying out for a while. Or are you excited about the promised light that the Lord has given you? I mean, do you really believe it? It's there. It's given to you. What are you going to do with that gift?
Let me ask, when was the last time you shared the gospel with the lost? And I don't mean when was the last time you were nice to a lost person. I mean, when was the last time you shared the gospel with them? That they needed this life. Not that Jesus loves you. They need Jesus. When was the last time that you know that you have shared that truth, this promised life, to someone who is streamlining toward destruction like you used to be? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you suffered for the gospel? When was the last time that you knew you were in battle and that you were being persecuted and hated or mocked because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it's at work when you're unwilling to, to cave into dirty jokes or lying or whatever because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it's from those who don't like the fact that you're sharing the gospel with them. Right? When was the last time you shared the gospel? When was the last time you suffered for the gospel? And the last question really is, would we say that the oasis is known in this city? Would we say that we have been a city on a hill here? That we have been a bright light in a dark world? I love our Sunday gatherings, and I miss the fact that we can't have them in the way that we used to right now. And it pains me to know that we have another 30 or so days of this. But like I said on one of the Wednesdays, maybe this is a time where God is really starting to challenge us of how we can start being the oasis, this bright light that we're called to be outside of just these four walls. So fan into flame this gift of faith. And let us recognize too that people like Pastor Keith and Ralph, the people that we we look to for, for help and for shepherding and for guidance, will not be around forever. And some of us may realize that we don't have much to offer the next generation of believers because we haven't really done anything with this gift. And so let me leave you with this. Examine your heart. Examine to see, have you been fanning into flame this gift of faith that you've been given? Can you see that working in your life? Is there a genuine hunger for the Lord? Do you believe this gift of the promised life? Can people see that this gift of faith that you've been given is the most exciting gift that could ever be given? And that you're still excited about it even now? 
I can't answer all the questions we may have about this right now, but my prayer is that as we go through 2 Timothy and finish up, that we would understand all the more how we can continue to fan into flame this gift of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer this morning for all of us is that we would examine ourselves, and if we notice that our faith has seemed to cool over the, the years or months, that we would get excited about this gift once again, and that we would recognize that the first way to get excited about it is to focus on, on, on you. Our hearts and our minds need to, to ponder what you've given us and, and who you are and what you've done and And we know the means that this takes place. It happens through the word. It happens through prayer. But God, I, I, I just, I want to, to lift up this time to you and pray that each and every one of us would make sure that we are still excited about this gift of faith. And that we would not let the desires of the world or the fear of man get in the way of that. We thank you and we praise you. And I praise you, Lord, for this opportunity for us to go through Second Timothy together. And I pray that we as a church would just grow immensely because of this time. In Jesus' name, amen.